hope and my prayer is that your, all of your, your wildest dreams will come true and your questions will be answered. I believe that they will in some way. First Corinthians chapter 15 is a letter written about 15 to 20 years after uh, the events happened, the events of Jesus' crucifixion and uh, resurrection. It was written by an apostle named Paul who used to hate followers of Jesus. In fact, he killed a great many of them. And so uh, as he writes this letter, he came to believe in the Jesus that he was persecuting and killing. And ultimately, he wrote this letter to help explain uh, who Jesus is and what his teachings were as he himself had experienced him. This is probably the greatest treatise on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, um, this whole chapter. But we're just going to read parts of it that will help us to understand what Paul's argument is. This is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to do first verses 3 through 8 and then go from 12 through, uh, 12 through 20. This is God's 3 through 8, 12 through 20. This is God's word. For what I, Paul, received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, And that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. These are the disciples. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And then verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we're found to be fa- then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This is God's word. So basically, you, you lay out the argument, and Paul just basically asks two questions. What happens if this isn't true? If the resurrection isn't true, if it didn't really happen, so what? And then the second thing he says is, if it is true, then so what? If it is true, then what's that mean to us? Right? Two questions. We're just going to follow this flow of thought in three ways. The first thing that I want to share with you is that we all hope that the resurrection is true. Now, I'll explain what, that, what I mean by that in a second. So this idea of the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of this man Jesus, this God-man Jesus Christ, my proposal is that we really, deep in our hearts, hope this to be true. You know, if not, then Paul goes on and lists, starting in verse 12, a laundry list of issues that come as a result. If it's not true, and there's big problems. I was, uh, before I moved down here, I was uh, working with a bunch of college students at a, at a church in Virginia. And this one Sunday, we were driving back from a retreat. So basically, a bunch of our our church people went on a retreat, and I was driving with the college students back, and we were riding on this bus that was chartered. So we're riding a charter bus, and everyone's in the car, and we're going back trying to make it by 2 p.m. for our worship service. And so as we're driving back, I noticed that the bus started slowing down, and it got slower 
and slower and slower. We're on the highway, so we shouldn't be going slower until we came to a stop on the side of the road. So I walked up to the front and I said to the bus driver, he was Chinese. I said to him, hey, is everything okay? He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. No problem. No problem. Everything's all right. I said, you think we're going to make it back to church by two o'clock for our, our service? And he said, yeah, yeah, no problem. We got it under control. Everything's under control. Don't worry about it. And so I said, okay. And I walked back to my seat and I saw him get off the bus and he goes and he tinkers with some things outside and he comes back on the bus and then he gets his cell phone out and he starts calling somebody. I figured this is his supervisor, his boss. He starts calling him and he gets on the phone and he starts talking in Chinese and Mandarin. I don't speak Chinese. So I don't know what he's saying. It's kind of, you know, to me, it's like when, when, the, when the children are in Charlie Brown or at school and the teacher is just saying, wah, 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 wah. That's what it sounds like to me. And so he's just talking in Chinese and he's getting very animated about it. He's waving his arms. And, and at one point, I was trying to figure out what he was saying to no avail until he got to this one part. So this is, this is what I'm hearing. Wah, 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 wah. Big problem. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> so immediately I understood two things to be true. One, right? The first thing is everything is not okay. And two, there's a big problem. Here's what Paul is saying. If Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, if it's all about bunnies and eggs, then we got a big problem. Big problem. What is it? He goes on to list it. He says, listen, starting in verse 14, our preaching is useless. That means every time we come in here, preachers stand up here and they say, you know what? Everything's going to be all right. God's got it under control. You're going to be fine. You're going to be taken care of. He cares for you. He loves you. If that's not, if, if he hasn't risen from the dead, then all that would just blow in smoke. Then the next thing he says, and, and then your faith is also useless. The fact that we've come here every Sunday and many of you have given many years and decades to this. He's saying that's all useless. If faith is a crutch, then what good is a crutch that's broken? That's what he's saying. You basically gave your life to something that wasn't true. He goes on. He says in verse 15, you're found to be false witnesses about God. That means basically not only have you been lied to, but you also are a liar. Right? Two worst things that could happen. You don't want to be lied to and you don't want to be called a liar. But he's saying, listen, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then you're a liar and you've been lied to. This is a big problem here. He goes on. He says, you're still in your sins. When we sing about the fact that, oh, my, my sins are forgiven and that Jesus died for me and, and all of these things and I have hope and confidence, my guilt is removed. He's saying, no, it's not. You're still in your sins. And then worst of all, he says, those who fall asleep in Christ are lost. That when you die, that's it. And it's like Bugs Bunny. That's all, folks. There's nothing on the other side, nothing to see here. That's it. So there's a, a famous uh, agnostic scientist named uh, Carl Sagan. and died in 1997. Some of you guys, he was an astronomer, so you may, you may have heard his story. But he was so outspoken for not believing that there's a God that when he died, people asked his wife, and this is what his wife said in a Newsweek interview in about 1997. She said, because he was so outspoken as an agnostic and a non-Christian, People ask me all the time, and even to this day, they ask me, before he died, did he step over the line and change his views and say, okay, I believe that there is an afterlife? And she said, he did not. She said, there was no mistaking the fact that even though we were inseparable for 20 years, there was no pretending that when he died, that it wasn't the last time we were going to ever see each other again. 
said the tragedy is that we knew we were never going to see each other again. What a tragedy. What a funeral to have to share at. What a eulogy to do. That he's dead and it's over. See you, wouldn't want to be, I'll never see you ever again. Think that's your reality. Not just the Sagan's problem, that's our problem if Jesus hasn't been raised. And then he goes on and he says in verse 19, we are to be pitied more than all men. He's like, I feel sorry for you. I feel sorry for me. This is sad. This is, you are the victim of the greatest April's, April Fool's Day prank ever. You have just got royally and massively punked. You know, you, you love watching these, these people get pranked on video and you're laughing. Oh, he's so dumb. He's saying, yeah, that's true. And if Jesus hasn't risen, that's punk. That's all of us. We're the victims. We're the victims. It's no wonder that we hope and we hope and we hope that all of our hope is placed in this illogical idea that a dead man could rise again. If everything about Christianity hinges on this one central fact of one thing that happened in this point in human history, if it's true, then our lives are changed forever. If it's not, then Christianity comes crumbling down like a house of cards. No wonder we hope that this is true. The second thing that I want to show us is that resurrection hope will never disappoint us. Can I tell you that we hope in two things? It, it just, this is oversimplistic, but we put our hope in one of two things. Hope, one, that will disappoint us, and then hope that will not disappoint us. That's simple. Ha <laughs> ha. But what I, here's what I'm saying. If you hope in anything, if you hope in something, we all hope in something. I hope that the food today is really good. I hope that I might meet somebody nice and special that I could one day marry. I hope that I get into the college of my dreams. I hope that I get this job. I hope that this interview goes well. I hope, I hope, I, we hope in something. And every time we hope in something, even though that is the best thing ever, can I tell you that at some point that something is going to disappoint you? Even the best thing, even the best car, did you know, will one day break down. Even the best wife, the best husband, I really, ho I hope today my wife, my husband makes me a steak when I go home. Dang it, she made me lobster. Ah, so disappointed. We're always going to be disappointed by something. The Bible says there is a hope that will not disappoint us. There's only one hope that will not disappoint us. And it's if we take that hope away from something and put it in some one. And he says, there's only one person. There's only one person who will never disappoint you. His name is Jesus Christ. He said that he would die and he died. He said that he would rise again. And the burden of proof then is to say, did he really rise again from the dead? Because if he did, if Jesus Christ really rose from the dead, then we've got to listen to what he says. We've got to. But if he didn't, then we can ignore everything that he said. It's that central. It's all about that one thing. It's all about this one thing. See, I, I grew up in church. I've been in church for 38 years of my life, and I always believed that Jesus rose from the dead. I always believed, at least in my mind, in my, maybe not so, so tightly. I always believed because that's what I was supposed to believe. And if you're like me, then probably a lot of you believe because that's what you're supposed to believe. But deep in your heart, you wonder, could a man really who's dead rise again? 
He was wrapped in spices. He was embalmed. He was all of that stuff happens. His body wouldn't stink. And he rose from the dead. Could it really be true? I said, listen, if it's really true that everything rises and falls on this, then I've got to know. Because one thing is true in my life, in my day, people who are dead don't rise from the dead. And so I I began to search this out. And the first thing I realized is that just as much as I don't believe that someone can rise from the dead, neither do people who lived 2,000 years ago. As illogical as it is to our modern ears, our postmodern ears, it was just as illogical to people back then. But check this out in verse 3. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. When he says received and passed, okay, this is a technical term. These words go together in very specific situations, kind of like in, in uh, the court of law. You say something like he was aiding and abetting a crime, to aid and abet. You don't use the word abet in real life, right? Only when you're talking about aiding and abetting. It's like research and development in the business world. There are times when one word Coupled together with another word means something different and something very specific. So in rabbinic Judaism, when people would use these words received and passed together, I received and I passed, it's talking about authoritative, certifiable, verifiable truth. So when rabbis would say, I received and passed on this information, he's saying 15 years after the fact happened, it was circulating at that time that this man Jesus died and rose from the dead. In the teeth of a Roman empire that would do anything to kill this Jesus movement, in the teeth of a Judaism that wanted to do everything to stifle the Jesus movement, it began to be known that Jesus rose from the dead. Just years after it happened. You've got to wrestle with this simple fact, okay? If you don't believe that, just suspend that belief for a second. And you go to the tomb, and the tomb is empty. Maybe they had the wrong address. That's why the Gospels say it was the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent person in those days. Everybody knew where his tomb was. So if they happened to go to the wrong tomb, here's your simple answer. Go to the right tomb. So they went to the right tomb, and the body wasn't there. So you've got one of two, several things could have happened. Grave stealing, grave robbing was was common in those days. People would steal the body and they would place him somewhere else. If that happened, the bad guy stole him, then all they needed to do was to to kill this movement, which is here's his body, found him, it's over. House of cards comes crashing down. If you've got an empty tomb, then you've got to deal with the fact that the tomb is empty. Something happened. Where did the body go? But here's the other thing that you have to realize is that within days of actually the day it happened, Sunday morning, people went and they saw him. He says, starting in in verse five, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12, everyone who knew who the 12 were after that to more than 500 of the brothers, verse seven, then to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also. Here's what he's not saying. Are you kidding me? Jesus rolled up and he showed himself to everybody. That's not what he said. Because sometimes when you say he showed himself to everybody, you're really saying he showed himself to nobody because you can't verify that. So someone comes to you and they say, you know what? Those clothes you're wearing, it's not just me, but everybody thinks that those colors don't match. 
And who is everybody? Oh, just everybody says that. You can't verify that. But if they say, okay, let me tell you who, I'll tell you who. Peter, Paul, Mary, John, Alfred, all these people said that. Then you could actually go and verify. So the reason he lists these people out, he's saying these, these people are still alive. If it's really that important, if it's really that significant, then you go and do your research and you find out for yourself if this is really true. Because these guys are still living. And they'll tell you. They'll tell you what they saw. They tell you if, if it's really true. Not only these people, but the gospel records list 18 other independent witnesses who were still alive at the time saying they saw him. In fact, when he died, they were scared to death. But after they saw him, they said, yeah, let's live to tell. Let's go and tell. Let's talk about him. Because we can only talk about what we've seen. You've got an empty tomb. Then you could have had someone steal the body. You've got people seeing him. You could have a massive hallucination. But if you've got an empty tomb and people have seen him, then you've got to wrestle with this fact. The burden of proof then is on the doubters to say, what happened? How could this really be? How could this really be? An empty tomb. People saw him. What do you do? How do you figure this out? You see, this is that significant. This is that significant. And he's saying, these things really have, there's a, there's a ton of other things that I could go and I could talk about and list these evidence. But the reason why, it's, it's funny because the Gospels, when they, the, the first biographies of Jesus, don't spend all this time arguing about it. They just say, it happened. And here's how it happened. They don't argue why. Why not? Because people accepted and believed the fact that they'd seen the risen Jesus Christ. And everything was different. That's, a, that's the last thing we're going to see. The resurrection changes everything, right? Changes everything. You know why we gather together to worship on Sunday? You know, in, in the Old Testament times, or in the, even in the Bible times, what day of the week do they worship? They worshiped on Saturday, their Sabbath. Why all of a sudden, after 2,000 years, do they begin to worship on Sunday? You know how hard it is to get anyone to change anything after 2,000 years? You know how hard it is to change something after you've been doing it for 2,000 days. Right? That's what, four or five years? To change doing something after five years of I've been smoking or I've been doing this habit, I've been waking up at, late. I've been, to change anything after 2,000 days is hard, let alone, two, let alone 2,000 years. But why? Something life-altering, something history-making, something completely that would blow your mind must have happened on a Sunday. They're saying it did. Jesus rose from the dead and people saw him and their lives would never be the same again. So these disciples who are towering in fear that they would be next and if what happened to our master is real, then that's going to happen to us as well, his followers. So they're hiding out in fear. But something happened. Their lives were changed forever. You know what? Ha you know, here's what happened. Here's what he says. Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Um, there's, a, uh, there's a verse in, at the end, of, uh, the end of the chapter that says in verse 55, uh, we sang this, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? You know, I, I don't know if you remember this, but I was talking with a couple of our friends before service started. There used to be a game. Um, on the Nintendo Entertainment System called Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. 
Um, I know some of you guys used to play this, but the goal of this is when Mike Tyson was a bad man. He was the champion of the world, undisputed, 31 and 0, 27 wins by knockout. Before he started biting people's ears, he was he was the he was the champ, and nobody could beat him. And so this game came out, and the whole goal of the game is that you would be able to fight against and beat Mike Tyson. But in order to get there, you had to work your way up. And so you started with this guy named Glass Joe. He was, had fought 101 times, and he had lost 99 of them. He won one time, and he tied one time. So Glass Joe's the first guy. He's fragile as glass, so usually everyone can beat him. And then there's other guys in that minor league circuit, Von Kaiser and people like that. You beat them pretty easily. Then you move on, and it gets harder. And you fight guys like Piston Honda, and you fight guys like King Hippo, and, and these guys are, are better. Once you progress through there, then it gets really hard. You've got Mr. Sandman, who's probably the hardest of all of the guys. And then Super Macho Man is the last contender. Once you beat him, ah, then you make it to fight against Mike Tyson. So you get to school and you're like, oh my gosh, I got to Mike Tyson. And everybody's like, so what? We all got to Mike Tyson. Problem is, nobody could beat him. No one could beat him. Everyone gets in the ring with Mike Tyson and every single person walks out defeated. That's the way it is. He is the undisputed champion and nobody could beat him. You know, for thousands of years, death was the undisputed champion of the world. Every single person who entered into the ring with death go toe-to-toe. They could doubt it. They could deny it. They could delay the inevitable. But out come 12 rounds, death has won again. Every single person steps into the ring and death wins. It's going to be the same with you and me also. We may try to doubt it. We may try to deny it. We might try to delay it with all kinds of things. But the reality is that death is going to beat us and we're going to succumb to death. And it looked like, it looked like the creator of the world, Jesus Christ, had been defeated by death as well. He was down for the count, not only for a day, not for two, but on the third day, Jesus said, I'm tired of this. And he said to death, give me my life back. And you know what happened? He got his life back because he overcame death. Easter Sunday is the death of death. It is the destruction of death. It is the funeral of death because Jesus rose again. He says, you and I have hope that we too can rise again as well. Listen, if you can beat Mike Tyson, then you won't be afraid of any other boxer. If you can beat Mike Tyson, then you ain't going to be afraid of Mr. Sandman anymore. If you can beat death, you're not going to be afraid of King Hippo anymore. And if death has been defeated, then what do we have to fear? What do we have to fear? The worst thing that can happen on this earth, death, is only going to lead us into an eternity with Jesus. If death has been defeated, then why do we need to be afraid? And that was what the disciples believed. These cowering, fearful disciples, our Savior has been crucified and he's dead. But once he rose again, everything changed. Immediately they went out and they started telling everybody, you know what? You killed him. You killed him. You killed him. And you know what? If you repent, he can bring you back to life. If you believe in him, then everything will be different. Everything will be different. And you know what? These very disciples who are scared to death, shaking in their sandals, went and they told about Jesus. And all except for one of them was killed for their faith in this crucified and risen King Jesus. 
That's why some of us in here can look at death in the face and not be afraid, can look at at illness, can look at hardship, can look at financial difficulties, can look at problems in life and not be afraid. Because if death could not defeat Jesus and he's living in us, then then nothing can beat us. If Jesus is alive, this is not just something that happened 2,000 years ago and then he died again, but Jesus died and he rose again and he's still alive today. He's still changing lives today. That's why people in every country can lay down their lives for the sake of this Jesus. That's why for the past 2,000 years, billions, literally billions of people have given their lives for this Savior. Billions of people have given their lives to what you and I, logical, rational people, may at first consider to the most unthinkable, illogical conclusion that the world could ever dream up, that a man rose from the dead, but they gave their lives for it. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ really is true, and I believe with all of my life that it is, then everything is different. Then everything changes. Everything is different. And it can be the same for you too. A few years ago, we, at one of our worship services, uh, we wanted to just testify to the ways in which our lives have been changed by Jesus. And so I asked people, whoever wanted to, Just to write how your life has been changed by Jesus. One sentence, one line, something to show how your life has been changed by Jesus. That was several years ago, and I took these testimonies, and I I just kept them in my office. could never get myself to throw them away. Just looking at them now and then as trophies of grace and of the reality of who God is. And so today, as we close, I just want to show you some of these stories of how uh, everything is different because of Jesus. I'm going to show you some of these stories and, and, and see maybe some of these things are things that you and I are struggling with. Maybe this is some of us. These are just a a small sampling. Jesus is still changing lives today. He can do that for you too.
Let's pray. As we pray, I want to give an invitation for us and just invite us to, to think for a second. That Easter is so much more than eggs and bunnies. It's about a God who was crucified on a cross for your sins and for mine. And he rose again from the dead, breaking through, bursting through the tomb with life and with victory. He's changed lives on every continent the past 2,000 years. And he's alive and he's here now. He wants to change your life as well. Maybe there's some of us in here that I really need that. Really need Jesus. Something in my life, I need to be changed. If that's where you are and you feel like, I need Jesus in my life. I don't come much. I come maybe every Easter, maybe every Christmas. Maybe I come about five times a year. But if what you're saying is true, then I want this Jesus in my life. In a few moments, I'm going to invite you to just show that by raising your hand. With the rest of us, our eyes are going to be closed. But if anyone wants to do that, in just a couple moments, I'm going to invite you to, to raise your hand as a sign of that. And, and then I want to yeah, just be able to, to pray for you and to pray for anybody like that from where you're seated. Let's just respond for a moment to the word of God right now as we think about all that you've heard today. Whether you have believed it to be true or not, you have to wrestle with certain verifiable facts in human history. So many people who have set out to disprove the resurrection from journalists to Cambridge scholars to Harvard University professors have come to the similar conclusion that Jesus Christ indeed had to have risen from the dead. And if there is a God, that's not, an, that's not a difficult thing for him to do. So let's come before the Lord and, and praying again is just talking to God. Can we just talk to God for a couple moments? Say, God, if you're real, then come into my life. I need you. Come on and take over my life. Be my master. Be my God. Help me. Let's pray like that for a couple moments. And then in a minute, I'm just going to give an invitation for anyone who wants to yeah, just be prayed for from your seat. And I'll just stand here and pray for you and remember you. So let's pray together and then continue on. continue to pray with our eyes closed if there's anyone in here as you were hearing the songs and as you're hearing the word that was shared I feel like you know what that's me I need Jesus in my life I need the living one to give life to the deadness of my heart to the deadness of my soul to the deadness of the hope that I thought I had which left when that something disappointed me maybe you felt like one of these cardboard testimonies was describing where you are and you want the flip side of that. So their eyes closed. If that's you and you're saying, I want Jesus in my life, you can just raise your hand from where you are and I'm not going to put you on the spot or call you up here, but I just want to be able to recognize and pray. Thank you here and see you.
young man here. Put your hand down. Okay, thank you. I see a couple here in the front. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Yeah, if anyone else, I need, I need Jesus in my life. He came to fix our broken lives and to give us life in place of death. The message of Christianity is not that I was bad, but now I'm good. It's that I was dead, but now I'm alive because he's alive. I want that life in you. There's several people that have indicated that they want to put their trust in Jesus. Is anyone else like that? Just raise your hand. Okay, thank you here in the front seat. just pray this prayer together in our hearts maybe you know you just feel like i don't know you so i don't want to put my hand up and you see me that's okay but just in your heart if you can pray this prayer i'm going to invite you to pray along in your heart as i pray it out loud lord jesus i thank you that you came into this world and that you did what no one else could do first you lived the perfect life to be the perfect substitute and sacrifice. And then you died on the cross. Not because you deserved it, but because I deserved it. Because I needed a way to get to God. But you didn't stay dead. You rose from the dead and are living now. And that's why we pray. And that's why we still see answers to prayer. That's why we can still be changed. And that's why broken lives are being made new every day in this place. I need you. Would you come into my life and be the healer of my heart, the restorer of my dreams, the repairer of my brokenness, the master of my life, and most of all, be my savior to save me from my sins. Make me a child of God. Help me to be who you want me to be. I love you because you've loved me first. Now I want to just invite us to take a moment just in the quiet of our hearts to give thanks to the Lord God. Just thanking Him and praying for whatever you need, wherever area of your life you need Jesus to come to move in your life. Can you just tell Him that? Say, God, I give you my anger and I pray that you would give me hope. I give you my sadness and pray that you would give me a joy. I give you my brokenness and I pray that you would give me your wholeness. It's just to pray that simply the way way that we get that is that jesus was whole but he became broken he was healthy but he became sick for us so just for a minute let's pray and then i'm going to pray on our behalf and then we're going to continue to remember what jesus has done for us Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace and your power and your truth that is alive in us. We pray that you would help us to live in the power of the resurrection, to know that you're alive and to know that you want to work in our lives and to do what the things of this life that disappoint us could not do for us. Help us to be who you want us to be. May we bring this hope to others in need. We 
thank you so much. Thank you so much. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.